Hello and welcome to the special live edition of our podcast, Hashtag Live Life Better. Today, we are going to be exploring International Women's Day central message, which is press for progress. <laughs> so today is all about you and all of us women. Um, so we're very pleased that you're here to join us. This is a pop-up shop and it's called the Like A Woman Bookshop. And I think it's in the most amazing location here in East London. We'll be focusing on what good business looks like for a woman in the 21st century. We'll have lots of tips from these guys here. And we'll be asking questions such as, how do you put purpose at the heart of your business? Are feminine traits set to differentiate successful leaders of the future? And how can we find meaning in our work? So with me, we've got Holly Branson, chair of Virgin Unite, a founder and trustee of Big Change, and author of Weekonomy, You Can Find Meaning, Make a Living, and Change the World, out today. <laughs> Hello. I mean, it is actually out today, so that is pretty amazing. We have also got Rukmini, we're going to call her Minnie today, Rukmini Ayer, a former lawyer and now a food stylist and author of The Roasting Tin. <laughs> and also Alice Olland, author and co-founder of Step Up, the new go-to commentators on women's careers. And me, Melissa Hemsley, I'm a mental health ambassador and I'm a cookbook author. Right, so let's get started. Holly, tell us about your book, Weekonomy. So the Weekonomy is about a way of doing business where both profit and purpose balance each other as opposed to the more traditional way of doing business, which was solely about making a profit and maximizing shareholder returns. By purpose, we mean that companies need to be doing all that they can, as opposed to the least they can get away with when it comes to all areas of their business. They need to be doing the right thing for their employees and giving them wonderful employee benefits. They need to be doing the right thing for their customers and giving them good consumer choices. They need to be giving back to their local communities. They need to be thinking about their supply chains, and they need to be thinking about the world as a whole. So we feel that all businesses should be thinking about this when every decision they make, and that's what we've been writing about in the book. And I wrote it with two other authors, because we come from three different areas, um, myself from business, Mark's from social enterprise, and Craig's from charity. And we felt that bringing all those three different perspectives together was really useful, because there's, no there's no books out there that are looking at the three perspectives yet. So this is the new business bible? I would like to say so, yes. And <laughs> you heard for, it here first. Yeah, it's for um, anyone that wants to find meaning, make a living, and change the world. Is that anyone here? <laughs> Me, hands up. Um, Minnie, tell us about your journey and your new book. Oh, actually, it's out now, The Roasting Tin, but tell us about the new one coming too. So um, I'm a food stylist and a cookbook author, but um, I used to be a lawyer. Uh, which was quite a different sort of job, and a, di a diff different atmosphere altogether. Um, and I sort of realized while I was doing that that the only thing I consistently loved, you know, I'd come home in the evening, I would just cook and cook. And eventually I thought, do you know what? I should do this all the time. I shouldn't just be doing my nine to whenever and not really enjoying it when this is the other thing I love. So I went to cookery school and worked in a restaurant for a bit and then came down to London, started styling and eventually pestered people to get them to let me write a cookbook. 
I love that you said pestered. Oh, of I course. Think, I think if anyone's written a book, you know that there is a lot of pestering. It looks like it sort of just <laughs> lands shiny on the shelves, but you've become an expert at pestering. Um, Alice, tell us about your book and why you think it's so important for women in particular to think about how they fulfill their work and career potential. Well, just to be fair to my partner, Fenella, I did not write my book on my own. I co-authored it with my old friend and now business partner, Fenella Mel Fine. We wrote this book with a couple of ambitions. One of them was to talk about success and to help women redefine their success. What we feel passionately about is that change has to come from the top and the bottom. So society needs to make massive changes, and I think that's one of the reasons we're all here today, and this conversation is getting louder and louder. But another way to force change um, and work in a more equal society and also to fulfill ourselves as women is to work um, in a way that is true to who we are. So what we say is that we're pushing for equality, but not for sameness. And so our book is all around supporting women specifically to work in a way that is right and natural for them and not in a way that is trying to mimic the way that men do things. We can borrow from the way that men do things because they do some things brilliantly. And we definitely don't pit men against women. That is not what we do. But we um, look at how women can forge their careers um, ahead. I like to think we can borrow tips and then make them better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the most successful person in the office, apparently, is the woman who um, stays true to her femininity but who borrows from um, the, the more masculine way of doing things. Yeah, Strong but soft at the same time. So let's talk about where we are right here, right now in 2018. Uh, International Women's Day central message this year is to press for progress. It's all about turning momentum from recent campaigns right into impact. So we're going to talk about what the benefits for society are if we keep up that pressure and drive change forward. I'll start off with you, Holly. How important is gender equality in a healthy and happy business? I think we all know the answer to that one. Um, it is absolutely vital. Uh, you need to have a difference of perspectives in all areas of business. And actually, it doesn't just revolve around gender. There's so many other areas that we've got to make sure we get the equality right, whether it's race, age, disability. There's just so many different things that we've got to make sure that businesses are looking at. Because if we just focus on gender in five years' time, we could look back and realise we've missed a trick. There is so much going on at the moment around gender, which is absolutely fantastic, and we should pull in all the other areas as well. And so it's all about having a diverse room, diverse people making decisions. And so if you can get that equality right, it's absolutely vital. Minnie, how do we ensure the calls for change are completely inclusive and reflect the needs of all women out there? Um, I think it, this sort of it's about women, but it's also about opportunity. For example, I mean, we all do such interesting jobs and none of the things that we do are things that are taught in schools. Um, whether you've gone to an independent school, whether you've gone to a state school, it's not on the curriculum. You know, starting your own business is not something you're told about. You're not told how to fill in a tax return. Um, you don't get people in to talk who do things other, you know, if you're at my school, we you know, had lawyers in, we had bankers in, you had people come and give you little one-on-one -on -one, uh, chats about that, which was great, but it was parent-organized. Um, and if you're at a school where, where you don't have that, and you certainly don't have the sort of diverse, interesting range of jobs. I mean, in, in my field, you know, you've got photographers, art directors, editors, there's so many different 
people who you come into contact with and you think, how did you get into this? Because I bet no one ever told you when you were 16 or 17 that you could do this. What did you want to be when you were younger? Uh, I wanted to be a vet when I was 11, but um, then I I had a bad science teacher that never quite happened. So I I just didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew I loved English literature and I loved writing. So I think the other thing is also making people realise that you're not stuck in one career. I, I actually trained as a doctor and I, that was my passion. That's what I wanted to do. And life took me in a different course. And I think people need to realize it doesn't matter. You shouldn't feel like you failed if you have to change career. And there's, there are so many choices out there now. And I think we really need to shout about the different choices. I actually went to a school in Dubai three days ago. And um, I wanted to be a doctor when I was growing up really, really badly, really wanted to be a doctor. And I went in and said, you know, I wanted to be a doctor, and now I'm not a doctor, I'm a cookbook author, and you don't have to be a doctor if you don't want to be. And then I, as I was leaving, I was like, oh, so what does everyone's parents do? <laughs> they were like, they're all doctors. <laughs> Alice, what did you want to be when you were younger? Um, well, see, my career's been slightly different, because what I've done is haven't necessarily changed as kind of blended my career. So I always loved fashion, because I had an amazingly glamorous grandmother so I just aspired to be like her and I thought that was the only career I could ever work in and I also love writing like you Minnie um, so I became a fashion journalist and I kind of set myself in fact I found this notebook recently that had like my five-year plan which was really organized for me when I was 18 I thought and obviously told where I would end up and it was to work at a, a national um, as a fashion journalist which I did do through lots of free work which we can talk about later. Um, And then, uh, like Holly, my life kind of took a different route. um, And now I'm able to blend my kind of passion for fashion, which I still write about, with Step Up and talking about careers and being a woman and and the kind of careers conversation. I like that, actually, because when I'm following you on social media, there'll be a picture of some unbelievably amazing shoes have you all seen alice's shoes today they're insane but then the com- the caption will be all about something super interesting Substance. about business but that's what so that and was I, our my point. attention was caught so our point was at the beginning was why is the kind of conversation around women's careers stuck in a dreary boardroom like why can't we talk about careers in the same way that we talk about food and wellness and all the other things that we talk about and look at in an aspirational way so that's what we try and do is add style to careers because we all love our jobs or most of us do so why not kind of enjoy them absolutely and while I still got you success uh, what is your definition of success and how has it changed or blended or tell us a bit about how you big question Mal. big question um, from shoes to success well I used to define I don't think I used to think of it in these terms but success for me was having the job that I wanted which was being a fashion journalist and just being happy and having time to enjoy myself. And now my life is much more complex because I'm a mother and I have a business um, and I still kind of freelance. And I'm much more driven by being financially independent, which I don't wasn't something that was important to me, which sounds ridiculous. But like the creative side of my, bus- of my career was much more important than the financial side. And now I think because I'm older and I'm maybe a bit wiser in that, and maybe because I've got my own business now, I'm, I'm more driven by that. And I, I feel... I'd feel okay talking about it as well. I mean, it's... So I think being financially independent, 
Um, having flexibility in my life is definitely one of the reasons that Fenella and I decided to write the book and set up the Step Up Club because we also hold events um, and we run something called the Step Up School, which is a year-long program for women to come and kind of learn more about their careers. And we do that partly so that we can be flexible ourselves and to also create communities of women. That's really important to me. And being in a room of other inspired and inspiring women is a really powerful thing. Yeah. And it's not competitive. That's the no, other thing not. I wanted to just talk to you about, Holly, is... I know I've been asked questions before that have a hint or an undertone of competitiveness um, that I don't hear men necessarily getting asked all the time. Um, Holly, your definition of success? So success to me means all areas of my life being happy and meaningful. So not just work. Like, absolutely brilliant if I can get the meaning out of work. But I also want to make sure that I'm healthy I want to make sure that I'm spending time with my family. So it's finding that work-life balance that's like really right for me. But when, yeah, when I was younger, success was spending all the time in the office or all the time in the hospital. And, and, and I realized, actually, you need to look after yourself as well. Are we all here because we're looking after ourselves? I feel like this, for me, is about my self-love, self-care, self-interest is coming to things like this. And I remember growing up, it was nailing GCSEs, nailing A-levels, getting the right university, finding that job. If you deviated, it was... You had to really prove yourself. I found that anyway, because I didn't go to university. And after promising my mum I'd be a doctor, I thought, God, I really must succeed or my mum will be disappointed. I realise now that she's not. But um, it's a lot of pressure. One of the self-care things that I've started doing that someone gave me advice to do was on the Friday before the, the following week, I schedule in my whole week. So I've got my working days all sorted. That's fine. But it's also scheduling in when am I going to go to the gym, when am I going to spend time individually with the kids. And then it actually means you make it happen. So before that, I would always think, oh, I'll go to the gym on Tuesday. But now I actually put it in the diary. I go to the gym on Tuesday. And it's really helped me. Yeah. I love that you did it on the Friday because I do that, but I do it on a Sunday. And I think that Friday is actually a much better approach because then you have a whole weekend to know that you don't need to start thinking about it. And I also think that can really help Sunday blues, can't it? Does anyone get Sunday blues? <laughs> yeah. Like, Sunday, like the Sunday, you've had your Sunday roast. The good TV doesn't start till nine. But you're like, I should go to bed. <laughs> That's a really good tip. I know you've got tons of tips like this. Minnie, tell us about um, your definition of success because you've told us that you were a lawyer, which is your parents must have loved it, your school must have loved it, and then, <laughs> um, then what happened? Um, now you're super successful in this. Well, that, thank you. That's very kind. Um, I think, again, being young and having, his, having that idea of, of what success is, I... The only way I got through law school was looking at pictures in the Graham and Green catalogue. You know, the nice shop oh, does lovely, a nice yeah. furniture, yeah. Everyone I, know that, Graham and Green? It's, oh, it's such a nice catalogue. But um, <laughs> I, would, I would look at it and think... Price, price starting for a cushion? A lot. A lot. A lot. Okay. Well, I was, I was young and I didn't have any money. Um, <laughs> but I thought, you know, if I make it, you know, I'll um, finish the training contract, start in this beautiful corporate firm, I can afford every single bit of furniture in this catalogue. And, and really, that is not enough of a motivation. And it, and it wasn't, and I left, because nice furniture, while you know, I'd still love to have some of that stuff, it wasn't enough of a drive to succeed, um, just wanting stuff. And I've been listening to that podcast, I don't know if any of you know The Minimalists at the moment, and I just feel sort of transformed every time I listen to it, just thinking, I really need to reevaluate what's important. I mean, obviously, it's lovely that the, that the book's doing well, but 
actually, I don't need stuff. Um, you know, spending time with your friends, spending like remembering to call my family, um, making a nice meal at home that's not for work. Those things are I so much more that. important. Yeah. yeah, it's lovely to not cook for work, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, obviously it's great to cook for work, but when you think oh, it's not going to be in a tin, it's going to be six pounds, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Um, gender stereotypes, we're going to chat about that now. Holly, how young do you think gender stereotypes start? I've got boy-girl twins, so I've, you know, they're three years old, and I've, I've seen it from the, the very beginning. But um, I actually read a study the other day about gender stereotyping starting in the womb. So if you have babies kicking inside you, most, a lot of people say, oh, that was a little flutter here or a flutter there, or, oh, I just got a little kick. And then they did a study, and once people found out if they were having a boy or a girl, suddenly they're saying, oh, that was a big, aggressive kick, the boys. Yeah. And so it is starting as early as in the womb. Um, but having had my twins, I watching, I'm watching a lot of Disney programs at the moment. And there's a lot of princesses in castles and being rescued by princes. And I just really feel for them, the kids, because the princesses are normally, normally the meeker one. And the prince goes and does the rescuing. Pre-frozen. Pre-frozen. <laughs> but, um, but not many princesses um, ask for a prey rise. No. Or not many princesses go in and demand what they want. And the princes are the ones that are going in and doing that. And I think it's so important that... I think Disney is catching up. Now we've got Brave, which is doing... You know, Brave is a great one with a strong female lead and Moana. And, and I think as long as we can make sure that our kids are watching... They, they're so impressionable at that age. Really young ages. And it needs to start... We need to start making a difference at that then. Mm. So Disney, Disney's paving the way and good books, right? And good books. You had a great example earlier about yeah. books. Good night stories for rebel girls. I've got two daughters who um, are four and six and happily they're not very princessy, which is good um, considering what their mum does. And, uh, but, so, but, I, but now that they're old enough to kind of listen to stories of amazing women, I constantly read them stories about amazing women. So we've got, we got through that book, which is 100 Amazing Women, which is actually a brilliant read if, if you've got daughters or not. There's a, the new one's coming out soon. And then we've got another set of books called Big Dreams for Little Women, or the other way around. Um, and it's stories of Amelia Earhart and Coco Chanel and all of those amazing women. And then one of my daughters turned around to me and said, Mummy, why don't you read me books on amazing men? And I thought, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm pushing them too far one way. Uh, and then I actually saw in Waterstones, funnily enough, that they have like some books similar that have been riffing off the same now for amazing men, so I've got to buy some of those. But I think it's like what Holly said is true. And also the way, I mean, there have been studies about how as mothers, the way that we hold our daughters and sons is very different. So same as the kicking, you kind of are much more protective of your daughters. Um, and, you know, I try and urge my daughters to go out and get muddy and do those types of things. But it, I think it doesn't come as naturally as I can imagine having a son and kicking him out into the garden and saying, go and find worms. So... Um, <laughs> We were talking earlier about whether it's innate or whether it's nature-nurture. I do think partly it is innate, and I think, some, I think we are different... Men and women aren't exactly the same, and I think we're born differently, and obviously we're absorbed into a culture where it's exaggerated upon. Um, but men and women are different beings, um, and we should celebrate ourselves as women as unique and men as unique too. My, um, my daughter and son this weekend in the snow... My husband decided to take a sledge and tie it behind a car. 
and um, get them to be dragged behind it. And my son went off, and he was having a whale of a time. And just getting my daughter out of the house was difficult in the snow. And I was like, go on, darling. I was trying to be so like, yeah, go on, you should go and do this too. And she absolutely had no interest whatsoever. So sometimes you just can't force kids yeah. into different things, and, and they are just who they are. But it doesn't necessarily mean, I think, that boys do this and girls do that. Children are just different. Minnie, your thoughts on self-confidence, gender equality? Um, I guess the confidence thing is sort of, it applies if you're in a freelance situation or your own business or particularly in a, in a big office. If I think about my confidence levels when I worked in a law firm and how easily they could be squashed by that certain sort of male partner, you know, he sort of looks down his nose at you and, and you're just like, you wouldn't treat a boy trainee like this. And you, you see that sort of person who won't be kicked out because that's how they treat everyone, but they're very high up, they're a rainmaker. And I think that can erode people's confidence to be, like as a, as a woman, it can, it can just make you think like, oh, do you know what, oh, I'm not actually worth as much. Um, as a freelancer, obviously confidence is just linked to yourself. You know, you think, oh, you know, if I mess up this job, no one else is gonna ever employ me again. And that, that sort of thing. But I guess that's something to work on personally, but there's no one actually making you feel like that, which can happen in sort of toxic workplaces. Mm. Um, Alice, what advice do you give if people are working in an office? Um, what should people do if they're struggling, they're, there's, someone, there's, there's someone or something bothering them, um, and they don't have a sort of mentor, mentee program, or what, what should they do? Um, well, I think, I mean, the kind of practical advice is go to your line manager and be as vocal as you can about it and speak to somebody who's maybe in a, a position of power who can help you. I think also in terms of confidence, it's um, having that confidence, de whether, depending on what, I mean, look, you can have, you can be the first rung on the ladder in, and a woman, but you still have something unique that other people don't have. And I think it's kind of honing in on that um, and using that to your advantage. And so if you're being discriminated against for something else is to counteract that with what you do have. And, you know, you can't... Everyone has to start at the beginning. It's like learner drivers. Everyone has to be a learner driver. Um, but it's not taking it sitting down um, and being as vocal as possible. And maybe if there's a women's network at your work or getting advice from outside, you know, we talk a lot about mentors and sponsors and that you, you don't... I mean, the idea about mentoring isn't you don't have this one person that you just phone up one day and say, will you be my mentor? Rather, we need a kind of board, our own board of advisors um, that, that includes all different types of advice. Um, and it's probably speaking to the person and whether that's your mum's uncle or whether that is somebody in, in the business, you know, whoever it is, is seeking advice um, and being strong enough to um, have your voice heard, which isn't easy, but definitely will have a better outcome than the alternative. Mm. Um, on the subject of mentors, I'm just giggling because it, Alice and I have talked about this before. I've got mentors and they don't even know they're my mentors, but in my head I'm like, they're my mentors. <laughs> and you know how people would say, what would Jesus do? I think about what they would do so say one of them's called, I don't know, Beyonce. I don't, Beyonce's not my mentor. And I think I physically sit there and I, I close my eyes and I think about what they would do. And another thing I love is, um, uh, you know, shows like Desert Island Discs, for example. I'll often have them on in the background when I'm troubleshooting something. 
And often when you hear super strong stories of people um, overcoming, you know, as they talk about in, in Desert Island Discs, um, it might not be a business issue. It could be being terribly sick or losing someone. It is amazing how when you start to really realize everybody goes through it and that we all self-doubt constantly and that actually listening to other people's stories can really strengthen us even if they're nothing to do with what we're worrying about anyway enough about me um uh your top tips for when you're feeling uh, you know like you've, you've got some self-doubt or you're feeling a bit confidence crushed or something goes wrong at work what do you do as as yourself i'm not sure if there's something that you would recommend alice but <laughs> i i for me i fake it I like internally. Recommend it. Uh, oh, good. Because it's something Confirmed that I'm faking it. I do do. And, and it was actually something that I really started doing when I came back from maternity leave. My confidence was rock bottom after maternity leave. And I'm in a family business. And I. Did and you expect it to be? No, no, I really didn't. And even going into meetings, when you have to go around the room and say your name and what you do, I was petrified. And I used to do stuff like this beforehand. I used to talk in front of people and I. And I was absolutely petrified. And until you, I'd be shaking. But I was like, oh, just fake it, fake it, fake it. And I don't think anyone noticed that I was petrified. And it worked. And I really did just, I'd be confident and I'd, and I'd, and I'd fake it. And, um, and it made me feel so much better. And I still do it now. I was faking it earlier when I came on. <laughs> we, all went and put some, we all went and put some lipstick on. We all just went, okay, so we went over what we were talking about. And then we're like, let's go and put some lipstick on. And then we had a nice chat. True. And, and Minnie, what's your, um, like, I, again, I totally hear you on the whole freelancing thing, bring out a cookbook. Well, I'm definitely going to try the faking it because every job I go to, um, if you're styling, you go, go to a new studio. Sometimes it's a photographer you don't know. And I just turn up and think, this is going to be, like, it's going to go so terribly. And I need to stop. I just need to, you know, I'm going to ace this. I think the little internal pep talk would help. But if it's a kind of at-home meltdown, I generally call my best friend Emma, who is here, or my sister, or... Emma? I, Emma, Emma's just there. Hello, hello. Hello. Um, I, I sort of still need someone else to help talk me out of my spiral of doom. And I would <laughs> quite like to learn how to sort of get myself out of it. It's a work in progress. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. 
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Oh, Alice, tell us a few more then while we've got you. Would we all like yes, to hear please. a few more? Yeah. Please well, and the one that I'm thinking is a bit of a slower burn. So it's not like the one you turn to when things... I think that's... What Holly said, faking it is the one to turn to when you're in the moment because confidence is so much about how other people perceive you. And if you can fake it, then that's great. Um, and we do it all the time. Um, I think we, there's a, really, a great exercise we have in our book and it's all about um, holding on to the positivity around you. So as human beings, especially as women, we tend to focus on all the negatives. So, you know, all the positives that happened to you today are probably less secure in your mind than all the things that have gone wrong. Um, and what happens then is that we, it's much easier to talk ourselves down. So that voice inside our head, that mental ticker tape we talk about a lot, ends up being really negative, like, I can't do it. And, you know, why did I make that mistake? And what did those people think about me? Um, and a good way to counteract that and try and change that kind of negative belief cycle that we hold about ourselves is actually holding on to anything positive that comes our way. So... Um, we have something called a brag file on our email files. And we literally file away any nice things that people send us on an email. So whether that's, um, that was a great dinner party last night or, um, you know, I read your book and because of your book, I changed careers or I did X, Y, and Z. And we file it away. Actually, Fenella files it away because she's very digital and technical and organized. Mm -hmm. And I write it longhand in a notebook because I'm really old-fashioned. I'm basically still a journalist. Um, and then the point is that every Friday... Or one day a week, you spend 10 minutes just rereading those positive feedbacks because it reinforces the positivity and it helps retrain your brain. And it's not going to happen overnight, but it's kind of changing practices and it kind of can help you let go of the negativity that we all have. Another really good tip is don't compare what's inside your head with what other people are saying. So, you, you know, comparing yourself to others the whole time. Everyone has the negative thoughts, but they're, they're a lot of them are faking it. So you're comparing what's inside your head to someone else's faking, which is not an equal comparison. That is... That's like a double bluff, yeah, isn't it? Mm. But it's so true, because you just everyone gets inside their head, and then you think, oh, my God, I feel like this, and she's doing that, and that is amazing. Um, so sticking to your own definition of success, I would say, as well. So not comparing yourselves to other women, which is obviously toxic, and I, we all do it. Let's talk a bit more about comparison, because my next question was going to be, how can we, even if we're not official mentors, how can we be inspiring for the younger generation? What do you say to them? Apart, do you tell them that you fake it? Oh, I tell everyone. I'm so open about that. <laughs> Just I really, to let you know I'm faking it. Yeah, I think it's really important to not pretend all the time that everything's fine. So I think um, just being open and honest and say... So I would go to those meetings, and then afterwards I'd say to my, my colleagues, maybe not others, but my colleagues, oh, God, I was faking it in there. I felt so nervous. And I felt, it felt really lucky that I had people in the office to turn to. So I think it's having those open discussions. Fantastic. I think be on it, be, be honest, honest about it. I think, like what Holly said, is like is being vulnerable um, and showing all sides of yourself as well. Like we're not superwomen, and there's no point in reading your daughter's books about amazing women the whole time because I don't want to skew their brains. Um, but yeah, showing your vulnerability um, 
and just trying to stay true to who you are and being strong when you need to be strong and, you know, just showing all sides of yourself. Mm. I've actually found that um, we were talking about this as well, is saying no can sometimes be a super empowering thing to do. So I was brought up in a family where you said yes to everything, you got on with everything, army dad, Catholic mom, it was like, just get on with it. And it took me a long time, and I'm still learning how to say no, no thank you, or not really overcompensate when I don't want to do something and then actually carry that guilt. So, you know, like, say you've got to do something, or you said you'll do something, and then you say yes, and then you go, no, I'm a strong, independent woman, I'm going to say no, and then you say no, but then you think about how bad you feel and the guilt. Um, and again, that talking to myself, um, and I try and talk to myself gently as a friend, that's why I was interested to see what you would advise other people, because sometimes the advice you'd give someone else is not the advice we're giving ourselves. So I try and almost mentally compose a WhatsApp. I, I mean, I talk to myself a lot, you're probably <laughs> gathering. But, um, you know, I don't, as I say, I don't work in an office. So often you don't have that person to go on a lunch break with and chat about you know, oh, it's all going a bit wrong today or I'm really worried about that presentation next week. So I try and talk to myself as if I was talking to a, someone I loved. And it's amazing how that can... Also, uh, taking, change. trying to accept that there are highs and lows in every day and every week and that failure doesn't mean the end of the road, but it just means a learning process where you're going to get somewhere further. And as painful as it is when things go wrong... Um, kind of reminding yourself and self-talking, like you're saying, Mal, that actually, you know, I'm going to look back at this and think this is a moment of change or this is a process I need to go to, through and things aren't always perfect. And you've got to tell younger girls that, that things are going to be hard. They might go into careers they don't want to go into. They're going to probably come across discrimination, but not just girls, boys as well. I mean, boys have other struggles that we're not talking about tonight. We could do an yeah. equally interesting panel debate about the pressures on boys and, you know, how they need to live up to certain standards that society imposes upon them. So I think it's being open and knowing that we all have a rough time and, you know, think life is hard and it's not perfect. But if you can stay true to who you are and work hard and know where you're going and reevaluate where you're going the whole time, that you're at least putting yourself in the best position to feel happy and fulfilled, which I think is what everyone wants in life. It was actually um, when I was 18 years old and I was taking my driving test. And I rang my dad so excited afterwards to tell him that I passed. And he went, oh. And I was like, well, I passed my driving test. He was like, I really wanted you to fail. School for me was always quite easy. I passed my GCSEs. I knew I wanted to be a doctor. I knew how hard I had to work. I managed to pass my A-levels. And he was like, failure is such an important thing to have in life. <laughs> and actually now, then, uh, as I got into an adult and I have, started, I have failed at things, things have become difficult for me in, in areas of my life. I understand now why he wanted it. It would have been easier if I'd had my first failure at much younger and you get used to it. And I, and I can see why it is good for you to go through that. That's so funny. Did you mishear me? I passed. <laughs> I, I, was a bit, I was a bit shocked. And he actually then passed the phone to my mum and said, Holly's failed her test. And I was like, I haven't. <laughs> um, on that subject, actually, Minnie, tell us more, because I'm just so intrigued. When you went from being a lawyer to being an amazing stylist and then having one book and now coming up to two, what worries did you have? And how did you sort of come to terms with the complete change from being a lawyer and having that goal that you dreamed of and then going, I'm going to start again? I think, I mean, it's kind of interesting with the um, 
what we're talking about with, with the failure, like I didn't, the bit of that sort of like quite neat narrative is that I, I had this amazingly good training contract with a, with a big city firm and I mucked it up due to all that cooking. Like I mucked up one exam, like failed by two marks and they hauled me in and they were like, this isn't the standard that we expect. So they paid for all of my training, but I wasn't going to go there. And it's just down the road. Um, and, um, Anyone from the and I, just thought, <laughs> I just thought, oh God, you know, my life is over. My, my dad was so excited. Like my daughter's going to the best magic circle firm in the country. Like that was, he, he was so made. And I was like, I have basically ruined my dad's life and my life. And I'm going to have to go and crawl into some hole of a law firm because nowhere else will take me. So it was like, Literally, again, like, you know, quite a decent student, hadn't really mucked up anything. And I just thought, this golden future has disappeared. But it took a few years to think get, again about, you know, well, did I, did I ever really want it? What I wanted was the success, because it's so obviously successful if you're doing something like that. But I never wanted it because I enjoyed law. So I think when I was doing this, starting out as a food stylist assistant, you're earning pennies, but you're learning all the time. You know, you go to... Sh go to shoots, you'd meet these amazingly creative people, you're on your feet all day, you turn up, you're really tired at home, you put your feet in a bucket of water like a Victorian char lady. Smell so much, right? Oh my God, yeah, the frying yeah. and everything, but you love it. And you think, you know, I don't, I don't care that I'm basically on subsistence. This is great. Um, so eventually, you know, when it, when it came to the point of like, oh, doing a book or whatever, you, you don't really mind. Was it the cherry? So it was the, the cherry on the cake. It, yeah, I, was all, I already loved what I did and it was just a sort of extra oh, I'll just, you know, I'll just do this as well. And I'm sure I still took loads of styling jobs when I should have been writing that. So it was, it was just finally when you do what you want to do. And if it hadn't felt right, would you have gone on to the next thing? Did you say to yourself, I'm going to give it a go for this amount of time? Or did you just know instantly that this is what felt right? It just felt right. And, but also you, you have to work at it. You know, if you're freelancing, you're always politely pestering people for work. You have and to invoicing. Make it, and invoicing, and you have to make it come in yourself. Like, you, no one's going to give you the work to start with unless, you know, you have to build your client list and everything like that. So I wasn't going to give up on that. At the moment, now that I'm a bit more comfortable, I think, oh, maybe I'll do a PhD or something. But I it's taken it. a long Always time learning. from there. <laughs> so, yeah. um, Alice, any tips for, say you have a great job, like Minnie did, or something you've worked towards, and then you just can't shake off the feeling that you need to be doing something else and you're not sure what it is. But can you ask yourself some key questions to sort of work out what it is you want to do? I think there's lots of answers to that question. Um, I think we're living in an age where it's much easier to set something up. So if it's going from an employed job to an employed job, that's quite a strategic move where you're going to have to rely on headhunters and um, recruitments. Uh, and, and, and I mean, something we talk about is, is job crafting. So that's number one, if you're hating the job you're in, is actually trying to make that job work better for you. And you can kind of practice things out um, in the career you're in. So if it's that you want to have um, a more a, a career or a job where you're more communicative with people and you're stuck working on your own is kind of working towards um, trying that out in the job that you're in would be the first piece of advice. Second piece of advice, if you want to set something up, which a lot of people who come and do step up school or who we meet, and it seems like a very modern thing to do is kind of jump ship from employed to um, self-employed, um, is to set up a side hustle. I mean, it doesn't cost any money 
basically to I set love up all the names of their things. Do you mind explaining what that is? Well, like just have something on the side. <laughs> oh, like, on the side of the yeah, job you already do. Yeah, exactly. So keep the job you're in if you're not sure. Um, maybe start a blog or you know having a computer, having a laptop as much as it is a prison sometimes, and I definitely agree with that. And sometimes I just slam it shut and walk out the door um, and feel so much better. And suddenly I have the idea that I've been thinking about all day that I haven't been able to get. And suddenly I just walk to the park. And I'm like, oh yeah, that was it. In fact, sometimes I just go to the toilet and I get it. Oh, um, everything good happens in the toilet. I know, it's amazing. Um, but if it is something creative that you want to do, is just try it out. You know, opening up a, starting a blog or starting a small business, you can do a lot today. We're living in an age that is brilliant for an entrepreneur. So I would say try and do it on the side if you can. We, um, just, just an example of this. Ernestina, who has organised this evening, I just found out this evening she makes jewellery. Side hustle. A, a side. Amazing earrings. Look at her earrings. And she makes jewellery, has Could a business. Could you turn around? <laughs> Aren't they beautiful? Yeah. Mother's Day is coming up, everyone. <laughs> yeah, makes jewellery, has a business and has a full-time job, but I'm sure gives you wonderful satisfaction. And, um, and, it, and they're beautiful. In the, Does anyone here have a side hustle? Oh, oh here they go. Here they are, too. Anyone else? Anyone going to start a side hustle? Yeah, I, I want just to call it a side hustle. I want to yeah. start it. Just say you're doing it because <laughs> it sounds fantastic. Oh, that's very interesting. So this is your, how, what stages are you in? Well, I, so I work in corporate, but I'm also a yoga teacher on the side. And it's just kind of like a small thing. Like I do it once a week. It's really nice. But it's not like a huge, yeah, I can, I, I'm thinking about maybe turning it into a bigger business and then maybe phasing out the corporate, but I'm still enjoying corporate. So I kind of want to keep doing that until I'm done. Amazing. Where's your yoga? Just for, for reference. South London, around Brixton, if anyone wants to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you very much. Very interesting. Um, should we do questions now? Have there been any hands so far? Oh, hello. A lot of the chat at the moment about uh, gender equality is all led by women, which is brilliant. Uh, but I just wondered uh, what you feel kind of uh, men's role is in that conversation and what they can do to be part of that, striving for a more equal society. Yeah, so the, the male role is so important. And it, it's because, sadly, men are normally at the top of the businesses at the moment. And so they really have to take this by the horns and be the ones driving the change. And there's so much that they can do, whether it be mentoring. I don't know whether you find this, but traditionally, women in senior positions, when it becomes, comes to mentorship, end up being mentored with women. And actually, I think that the senior men should be mentored with women and to try and to, to pull them up the ladder. Uh, something else that I think is really important is that men need to be promoting and supporting more women. So if they're going off to do panels, say like this, apart from this is a women's panel on International Women's Day, but if they're going off to do panels and everyone else on the panel is a, is a white male, they should say, do you know what? I'm not going to come unless it's more diverse. That's a great one. I saw one. that on yeah. Twitter recently. Like, yeah. give, give up your place for someone else. Yeah. yeah. And actually, if more and more men do that, then it's going to become the norm, and it's going to get... Um, uh, it's going to become easier, I think, for women to progress. Make the change, ask the questions, say what you want. I think that's the big thing that we're talking about today. So, by day, I'm a PhD 
law student, uh, but by night, well, <laughs> yeah, by, by night and weekends, I write uh, teenage mystery novels, and I had one Ooh, come out last year. That's brilliant. Wait, Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, I'm the... one. A penguin one, actually. Is it, is it here? No. What? Is it not here? <laughs> I don't <Okay>. know. <laughs> the shop's still open tomorrow, so let's get it in. Can we get it in for tomorrow? <laughs> what, what are your books called? It's called The Lives of Desperate Girls. The Lives of Desperate Girls. Oh, yeah. my gosh. So tell us, how did you find the time to do that? Um... I had to move home. I uh, studied law in the UK, and then I moved back to my hometown and uh, to study for law conversion exams. And I was just so unhappy. I'd gone from living in London to living in my teenage bedroom. Mm -hmm. And I think I just channeled all of that frustration into writing a novel at night. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. Brilliant. But I actually had a question. Yeah. Well, I loved it. <laughs> Let's stock that book, shall we? Thank you. Um, how do you deal, like, how do you get that right balance between being uh, sort of authentic, but also being sort of taken seriously? Like, I was recently at a dinner party with a serious academic advisor, and I made a comment about how I watch reality TV when I'm tired, and he made a joke about how, oh, I, I sh you shouldn't admit that, that's embarrassing, no one, you know, no one should know that. How, how do you get that balance right, where you want to be open to other people, but you don't want to be belittled or taken less seriously? Ooh, interesting. Was it, a, was it a work dinner party type thing? Or was there... It was kind of that middle ground. It was like that getting to know you. Don't get too drunk type. Cause, yeah, you know. you, yeah. There's a, the, there's a finite amount of wine you're allowed to drink kind of thing. <laughs> you're looking at me, Mel. I think you can take your cues from other people who are working around you. So maybe look one rung up if you're in a very kind of structured hierarchy and see how they present themselves and save your wine drinking for the social evenings because there will be and maybe I would I would yeah I would kind of take your cues but also maybe don't accept that if you feel bold enough um, because it's allowing those conversations and it is a massive responsibility to turn around um, but it's allowing those conversations that continue the problem that we're in um, and allowing that man to speak to you in that way and make judgments on you that are kind of ill thought out and just plain wrong I mean you know we all have weaknesses and that's part of who we are not that reality TV is a weakness obviously but you know guilty pleasures yeah I would have, you know did you we what what how did you react did it sort of oh. I tried to intellectualize it I was like well nice no I'm just really interested in the relationships <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm just you know human beings uh, it's really just a sociology thing you're good Brilliant. you're good Brilliant. love it um Thank you. Any more questions? We'll do it really quickly if that's Really okay. quick. Uh, so I'm a school teacher, and uh, last night was parents' evening, uh, year eight options. So they're choosing their GCSEs in year eight. They're choosing it on pathways that are dictated from what they did in year six. It's, it's crazy. It's horrible. The job is all about getting success for the children, and they never have a chance to fail. So Holly, you were talking about your driving test. And that's a great example of something that you can fail and it doesn't really matter because you just take it again. But how can we, in schools or elsewhere in life, create opportunity for young people to learn how to fail to then be better in the future? I think it's really important and it does have to happen at school and at a very young age. So I think it's putting, it's putting kids outside their comfort zone. So sport. get sport. Getting up, public speaking. I mean, it's oh, really, that's a good idea. It's getting much more public speaking. And if you're five and you trip up doing your public speaking, it, it's you know it's much better to learn the lesson then than as you get. 
get older. So it's all about trying to foster that growth mindset in kids from a really young age and putting them outside their comfort zone. And I think I have a friend who went to school in America. Her five-year-old is at a school in America. And every three weeks, she's got to get up in front of the whole school. She's five. Every three weeks, she gets up in front of the whole school to do a little talk. And it's just so important that that stretch targets that you, we talk about as adults, you need to be doing it to young kids too, even though it might feel hard. And also taking the negativity out of the word failure, because we just, especially as Brits, we're so wrapped up in failure being a negative. And actually, if we can kind of flip the coin on that and say it's just part and parcel, just really quickly, I know you're rushing to end, but I've got a brilliant story about failure. Um, and we interviewed Elizabeth Varley, who's the co-founder of Tech Hub, which is a, a tech um, startup incubator near here. And um, every month they have a failure funeral where one of the the companies has to stand up and they literally have a congregation and a pastor and they bury this failure and they have to all kind of you know act as if it's a funeral which sounds ridiculous but I think is brilliant because they just make failure part of every day and obviously tech companies are so used to failing I mean you know every app's had so many updates um, but I just think it's brilliant that they kind of take failure and they celebrate it and then they literally bury it and then they move on. Going back to your question, I was thinking, imagine if there was a club called the Side Hustle Club where kids could get given, I don't know, a bit of money or a bit of something and they could just go and start writing business plans. I mean, I would love, wouldn't you love to know how to write a business plan? Yeah. And actually, I haven't actually written one. <laughs> <laughs> but I bet Holly could help me. But I mean, imagine if you, you could start doing it in one small way. That could be amazing. Would the kids be up for it? I think that would be a great idea. I mean, the kids love business. They love so making money. They do. So if, if Holly wants to fund it and if if, uh, oh, if, if Alice wants to give us some uh, step change oh, advice no. as well. We're going to agree on camera now. You know. um, would, you, would you let us know how you get on? Where's your school? Is it London? Uh, yeah, it's West London, yeah. I think you should do that and then let us all know what happens. I'll keep you posted. Um, okay, I know we've got to finish, but really quickly, could we all say a woman with a, a purpose driven business who we admire that we could all look up. Sharmadine Reed from War Nails. I love her. Good choice. Ta and tell us why. Why do you love her? Because her whole business is infused with purpose and she's, and she's just doing wonderful things in all aspects from employing single mums to doing community workshops in the space in the evenings. She's on her second business now, isn't it? Or, or, or a multiple. Um, amazing. Sharmadine Reed. Mini. Can I name two? Yes. It's the same business. It's um, two illustrators who I know, um, Anna Koska and uh, Grace Helmer. I just, as a kid, I never knew you could make a living being an artist. And they're both on Instagram. You can look them up. And their work is beautiful. And it just makes the kind of six-year-old me so happy that these women are making a living doing this beautiful art. It, they illustrate for loads of things, for books. And I, I just love following them. And, and I find them really inspirational. Amazing. Um, mine is not a businesswoman. She's a sportswoman because I love sport. Um, it's Kate Richardson-Walsh, who's part of the... Or she was the t uh, captain of the British women's hockey team, Team GB, who won gold in Rio. And she is married to one of the other team members, Helen. And they are doing... I mean, they're just brilliant sportswomen. And now they've both retired and they do a lot of public speaking. Um, but they work tirelessly to change the conversation around LGBTQ 
plus in sport, which is still such um, a taboo. Um, and they're just two amazing women. And I love them. We've been on panels with them. And I just think they're totally inspirational. Amazing. And my quick one would be, and I found this really tough, but uh, she's called Britta Schmidt and she runs Women for Women. And if you wanted to, I don't know, if you were thinking about buying your mum a gift, one, you should definitely buy a book. But two, um, you could also do something which is sponsor a sister that um, Women for Women run. So you could, it's not very much money and you pay it every month and you can you get paired with a woman and you get to learn her story and you can write to her if you want and if you don't have the time but you would like to support her you can but you get the stories back from where your money goes and it is so rewarding and brilliant so Britta's great but now is the end um we will all be sticking around for a little bit if you want to come and say hello or ask more questions um everybody's books are available to buy here, so I'll run through them again. We have got Holly Branson's We Economy. You can find meaning, make a living, and change the world. And it is out today, which I'm so happy for you. Um, Mini, Rook Mini Ayers, the roasting tin is out now, and the green roasting tin is out in July. You're going to be busy. So exciting. <laughs> and Alison Fenella's Step Up, confidence, success, and your stellar career in 10 minutes a day. I love that. Also, we didn't mention that, 10 minutes a day. Super important. We talked about that um, time for ourselves. Do it on the loo, do it on the tube. We've all got 10 minutes for that. And as always, you can find more about the authors on this show, hashtag live life better, over at virgin.com. And we have tons more motivational podcasts and tips. We always love a tip. Um, we'd really like to hear how this show has inspired you to live life better. So um, if you tweeted anything or if you're going to, um, it's at Penguin Living UK and the hashtag is live life better. I'll be back next week. We have got the next episode coming up is about sleep, which we didn't actually touch on it much today, but um, I'd like some more of it. You'd like some more of it. I, I think so. the recipe for success has got to be sleep. And as my mum always said when I was like, I can't sleep, she'd say, just rest your eyes. So yeah, it's very true. Just rest your eyes. So thank you very much for being here. Um, thank you all so much for coming and celebrating International Women's Day, which is really a week, which is really the year, which is, you know, every day with us. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. In your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.